Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about unpopular tech opinions. Let's get into episode 52. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. With me today is Wendy, like a peak of sunshine on a brisk February morning, and Matt, who's as enjoyable as a day of cold, piercing, relentless February freezing rain. How are you two? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. So that means like every day in for six months in the middle of Michigan then, Nate, where you live. Today, oh. we have the sunshine. <laughs> Yesterday, cold, piercing, relentless rain and wind. <laughs> So yesterday was a Matt day. Today's a Wendy day. There you go. I'm sure you <laughs> can tell which one I prefer. <laughs> the Wendy days. Definitely the Wendy days. Without having a Matt day, you don't appreciate the Wendy. That is very true. There's a lot to appreciate here in Michigan. <laughs> Nate, remember, <laughs> Wendy does have her sinister days. So just keep that in mind. Never. I just, I have no idea what this is that you're talking about. Lies. I'm just going to side with Wendy on this one because she's doing the editing. So we're just going to go she can make the sound however she wants, so it doesn't really matter. Exactly. So, Matt, you said you need to make a shameless plug today. And what is this shameless plug that you're going to make? So the shameless self-plug is for the Atari VCS live stream that I did on Monday as for the week we're recording on right now. The Atari VCS is actually the PS3 we never got from Sony. <laughs> Oh, nice. So it's actually good? If you upgrade everything, do some BIOS tweaks and all that stuff, yes. <laughs> the PS3 supposedly was at some point supposed to be able to do 720p gaming at 60 frames per second. Anybody who owns a PS3, played a PS3, knows we barely got 720p at 30 frames a second on some games. <laughs> I wanted to test the internal hardware on the VCS and last week's GameSphere live stream on the Tux Digital YouTube channel at 9 p.m. Eastern on Mondays was specifically related to that. And it was two hours of me trying various games and whatnot. The results were basically 720p60 on an integrated wow. GPU for PS3 level nice. games. And I tried to stick into that era of gaming because obviously this is about five or six years forward in technology for the PC portion of it. But I wanted to also see what games from that era could also be run because I'm not going to sit there and try to run Cyberpunk 2077 on a integrated GPU because I'm not in or dual core CPU, no less, because I'm not insane. Like I'm, I'm trying to keep it somewhat right. realistic. Oh, it makes sense. It was definitely an interesting experience. I mean, poor little machine ran really hard on compiling some of those Vulcan shaders, not going <laughs> to lie. A Resident Evil 6, it did not like. It was a fun thing to see because it really kind of opens your eyes and where how far we've come from something like the PS3. And yeah, I mean, I've upgraded severely to the, the hardware from that by default. It's just interesting to see where we've come gaming wise and where integrated graphics can actually get us now, whereas opposed to the old Intel days where integrated graphics means... Uh, have fun with your very basic computing experience. Oh, for right. sure. I did watch the stream. Sorry, I was 77 minutes late. I almost feel bad about it. Mostly, I feel bad. Like, I'm apologizing to the Atari VCS, not so much to you, because that's what I really wanted to see was how the Atari performed. And actually, I went back and I watched some of the early part of the stream just because I missed it. What I was going to ask you now is, so you spent, what was it, about 200 bucks in the Atari VCS somewhere around there? 
like for the just the base model yeah so the base model i got on sale so i do know i they've been running a lot of sales lately yes i've noticed so the base model i got was 160 dollars okay. after tax and shipping and all that stuff give or take it was about 75 ish dollars for ram upgrade and memory upgrade because i only got a 512 uh, ssd so it was like okay. 25 dollars or something it wasn't super expensive and the RAM was somewhere between 50 and 55 or something like that. Okay. So it wasn't super expensive. So yeah, I would say about 230 250 somewhere in that neighborhood. So for $250, you have a case with a very capable motherboard inside of it. Decent specs. Would you say that's a good value then? Even if it was like $300, would you say that was a, a pretty decent value then, all things considered? If you're taking Atari OS out of the equation and just viewing it as a PC or like a appliance level, you know, Steam Deck level, like appliance kind of mentality that you can just happen to upgrade some things on. I would definitely say that it's worth it, but it does take time to tinker and kind of tweak and change a few things. You have to be of a certain mind frame and set to want to do it. If you're in that mind frame and you, you like those things, I would say it's definitely worth the purchase. You're not going to find many machines where you can take the entire thing apart fairly easily. I mean, most of it's four screws under the uh, rubber feet, and then it's literally you just pop off the band back and front, and you have access to the board, and it's like six or seven screws on the board to get to the RAM. And the, the SSD th is literally right in the front, so it's not hard to get to. Yeah, the reason I ask is, I mean, of course, yeah, I, I have one too. I haven't dug into it yet because I've I got a backlog by the things I have to work on right now. <laughs> you know never. I know. <laughs> well, here's the problem. You know, like a kid in a candy store, his eyes are bigger than his hands, I guess. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Not to talk about me now, but I'm curious to think like after you've made the purchase, you made all the upgrades, You've done a live stream on it now. You look back and you say, yeah, I'm happy with that purchase. Or do you have like some buyer's remorse? I don't have buyer's remorse. I'm debating what I, what I want to use it for now. Because originally like Atari OS cool. It's like a retro or like all that stuff's great and whatnot. That's not really why I got it. So for me, I was like, oh, I'm just going to try these games out. They're probably going to run like not good because that's just kind of what I expected because dual core CPU integrated graphics like i have low expectations when it comes to those words right i was remarkably surprised so now i'm in this weird quandary where i was going to make it a home theater pc but maybe i might make it a ps3 level machine instead for kind of ps3 is considered kind of retro at the moment not really but i'm in that debating stage of what i'm gonna do with it i don't regret the purchase it's just i don't know what i'm gonna do with the purchase right it's an appliance i just don't know for what <laughs> You know, I have mine in my living room right now, and it's played a little bit just with the Atari OS. God love them. I think they did a great job on a lot of aspects of the hardware and software design, but I find it limiting. And because it's limiting and doesn't do a lot of these things that I would like it to do right now, it doesn't feel like I made the best investment. Although I did get the speaker hat and I use it all the time. The controls are quite nice. How do you describe the controls? It's like an off-brand, but not the cheap off-brand, something like that feel. It's a good third-party controller. A good third-party controller, yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. It's not like an Xbox One controller or, you know, like a first-party developed controller. But it's like a good third-party, right. cheaper, financially cost-wise, third-party controller. Right. They obviously didn't put all their time and effort into this, the controller. They probably outsourced that to somebody, flapped some colors on there, and called it good. It's definitely not as nice as the Steam Deck controls are, the Atari controller, but I would say it's pretty comparable to, I would actually say it's on par with the PS3 or PS4 controller. For me, how it feels in my hands, I don't like the PS3 controller, it doesn't fit my hands very well. So actually I like the Atari one better. But like right now that where it sits as an Atari VCS specific system, 
I am not particularly thrilled with it, just as it sits right now. I mean, I like it. I think it looks cool. It's great next to my Commodore 64 clone. Steam Deck. Well, the Steam Deck doesn't sit next to it. Eventually, I want to actually have the Atari VCS displace some of the pressure on the Steam Deck, because even right now, the kids have it. It is what it is. So in that regards, I would highly recommend upgrading it. Like if you want to, you know, actually not have a broken Steam Deck. I know where, <laughs> where your mind's going with that. Because uh, <laughs> kids and electronics and all that. This is when Wendy can speak to that one too. Yes, I just had to step away for a second. Kind of say I heard a massive crash coming from my living room. Mm. Totally get it. <laughs> That's my favorite. Like what was that crashing sound? <laughs> and you're like, oh no, what just broke? Here's the question. What just broke? Thankfully, nothing. <laughs> And of course, nobody did it. Nobody knows what happened. I would love to find this nobody that lives in my house. But yeah, all the time, other than right? That. Nobody. No, it's amazing. Like nobody is blamed on so many things in my house too. When I find this nobody, we're gonna have a talk. Nobody and I don't know. Those two people need to get found. They're just wrecking havoc on everything. Totally get what you're saying about uh, relieving what you mean as far as uh, the Steam Deck and whatnot, though, Nate. I would definitely all say to wrap sum it up is, I would recommend upgrading it and doing some BIOS tweaks to it. And you will have a very good, I wouldn't push it to 1080p because that's asking too much of the integrated GPU, but like a 720p mid high settings on PS3 age games, really good. So if you, knowing you, you're gonna be more retro, it's a great system for it if you decide to go that route. While I'm having realistic expectations on my hardware, Wendy, you got something that might require you to travel because of things you guys have been building. Yes, we are definitely traveling. The countdown to Worlds is on. So from recording day, we have seven weeks and two days before we fly out to Texas. And one of the things that we were doing on our last team meeting day was talking about how we're going to decorate our pits. We had somewhat of a quote-unquote pit area when we were at regionals and state. It was mainly just a table. That's where the team would congregate. We had our poster boards up of what the team had done with their robot, their innovation project, and one board on core values, which is really, really nice. But at Worlds, we actually have a 10 foot by 10 foot by 10 foot. So it can literally be 10 feet tall as well. Area in which is our team pit. And in that, it also has to have a lot of the same things that we put up at state and regionals. So it has to have some sort of display on their innovation project, being able to show their robot, some core value stuff. It's where the team will spend their downtime, some of their off time, when we're not away looking at some of the other things, meeting teams from different countries, which is going to be totally awesome. But in this discussion, the team had decided that they want to have a POW button that actually works. And if you want to know some of the details of their innovation project, that's all on the team's website, buildingbeast.org, and you can check that out there and find out exactly what this POW button is. But they want one that works. And they haven't had a working prototype at the other two places, but it's time to step up the game, right? You are going to an overall larger competition. And so there's more work that just needs to be put into it. So we won't have running water. To have running water in our pit could get really messy, keeping that full over the course of the week and set up not so much. 
But in general, we'd like to or they'd like to make this work with lights on a large image. And that will include the kids not just coding their robot in Python, but actually making this button work and making some light works on a loop with their button, which is going to be really, really cool. I'm gathering supplies. We'll definitely do lots of testing before everything is soldered together, but it'll be really important once we have it set up that we don't have wires or whatever coming loose. So there is a ton of work ahead, not only on robot stuff that they're doing, but in decorations for their pits. There's also stuff that we need to hand out. So they've got a POW button that they've been handing out at state and regionals. So we're probably going to have a button making party just to get all of those done. I did cheat the last time that we made buttons. I let the cricket do the cutting for me instead of using the button cutter stamper tool. It was just a lot faster, easier on my hands. And that's part of the reason why I have this machine is so that it can do that for me. And everything was really uniform in the way it was cut, not worrying about any of those button centers, those button designs being off-centered. Lots and lots of work to do. We need something else to hand out as part of being in the pits and we haven't decided what that thing is going to be yet. But there's going to be a lot smaller group in years past, aka before the C word. There was over 300 teams. And before the world went crazy. Then, Yeah, and since then, there's still some teams that are not allowed to leave their country and travel, which is a bummer for those teams, but it's just a shorter pool. So we'll have less items that we have there to hand out, but I would love it if there were more teams from other countries that we could go meet. Kind of a, oh, yay, there's less to gather, but at the same time, kind of bummer, there's less teams to go hang out with. So that's one of the things on the to-do list right now is some pit decoration stuff and the kids will get to show off their knowledge of python just a little bit more with having an actual lit waterfall using python well that's cool and unfortunate all in the same stroke one that's cool that you've gotten this far and uh you're doing your little uh keys and such or whatever you want to call them your swag that you hand out nice to know you're using your crick cut so that's good Oh, goodness. Yeah, no, I think it's unfortunate that, that some teams aren't going to be able to visit due to the uh, restrictions that are still being imposed. Right. But, I mean, what can you do? I mean, this... There's nothing we can do. Yeah. Strange times. I'm very excited for your team. I hope that they... I don't want to say necessarily that they win because I think that's... I don't want to set it false expectations or unachievable expectations, but I hope that they all get something very positive out of this, that they learn and are inspired to do more in the future. I think they will. I think overall it's going to be an amazingly positive trip, whether we take home a trophy or not. Would it be awesome if we did? Absolutely. Is the team working their butts off because they want to do their best? Absolutely. If they weren't trying, if they weren't looking to improve, then the mentor and I already said that we wouldn't take them that they actually needed to be putting in the work continuously, working to improve their code, their robot, working on a goal of having nice pits, a good setup. If they weren't actually actively working towards improvement, then we already told them that we wouldn't go. There's no point in raising money if you're not working to do better, to learn more. It's one of our ground rules. 
I'm excited. It should be a lot of fun. And this is just one more thing in the step to do it. I am so thankful that my co-mentor has been through this process before. I have someone to lean on in making this happen. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's other teams in our region as part of FIRST as well as being supportive of the other teams. The team that won last year has been absolutely fantastic with information. They actually got a view of what our presentations looked like. They gave some awesome feedback to us as we prepared for the head-to-head with the other team. So it is about learning and sharing that knowledge with others so everybody is growing in their understanding, their knowledge, their skills. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think the benefits that the kids would get out of this, assuming they're giving their full attention to it, I think it's going to have great payoff. And you may not even see that payoff, but I think the payoff is going to be there. I've seen it in my kids, for sure. I have absolutely seen it in my own children at home. So I'm sure the other parents have. And it's been really cool just to watch the team grow in general. And I'll get to talk about some of their growth later on in the host-related interest sections. But you are doing cleanup of browser tabs. It's one of the things I end up with a ton of them, especially as we're doing research. I'm trying to figure out things, getting behind the stuff done for the team as we prepare to travel. You are writing an article about this. Now, this is not just having too many tabs open, or is this about also cleaning up some of those bookmarks? This is about cleaning up see all the above. Basically, (laughs) what happens is, you know, I'll be working on something and then I'll go down the rabbit hole of, oh, this is interesting. And then I don't finish or follow through. And so then I just kind of leave the tabs open. I'll say, I'll get back to it later. And then it happens Uh again with something else and again with something else. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm going through my tabs, I'm cleaning them up and or I'm closing them out and as such that I'm writing articles on it because I feel like my time, I didn't have some kind of fruit of the time that I spent, you know, wandering about the, the internet. So I basically, I took what I learned and I created some articles on cubicle with it. So one is something we talked about probably about a year ago now, and I finally actually did something with it, was a Sonic the Hedgehog that's built for the Commodore 64. It was a direct port of the Sega Master System, so the 8-bit version of Sonic the Hedgehog that was ported very faithfully to the Commodore 64. A lot of people have like talked about it, like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But the thing that nobody had done is how can I then play the game using like a, a modern, like a Super NES style gamepad on the C64, that you know physical Com- Commodore emulator that I have in my living room next to my Atari VCS. So basically, just a really short thing. This is how I configured it. Here's the file you can download. So you can use, instead of using the joystick with it, you can use a gamepad and, and have a more modern-ish experience with Sonic the Hedgehog with the Commodore 64-like system. And then another one was, I saw in a YouTube video quite a while ago that you can play Super Mario World when it's a modified to be in a widescreen format. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. So you can take advantage of like a standard, you know, six by nine or six by 10 ratio screen playing Super Mario World where it's actually, it's not just pixel stretched, but it's actually displaying more of the blocks. So you actually have more play field to look at. And I thought that was really cool. Like, well, I want to play that on the Steam Deck just like that. So I basically just documented the process of how I did it to get on the Steam Deck. It wasn't as straightforward as the instructions kind of sort of laid out. I mean, it is but it's not because there's a couple different ways you can go. So I tailored it specifically for Super Mario World widescreen on the Steam Deck and wrote an article about that on my site as well. And then uh, lastly, I got the Project Kill Switch travel case for the Steam Deck. I actually ordered it, I think because of you, Matt. You enabled me to buy that. It was shipped out 
recently. I don't know exactly when it was it arrived, but I finally opened it up, kind of did a little unboxing. Dbrand has a, a very high attention detail on whatever it is they produce. So not only is the case very well designed and put together, but even the box they put it in is very well designed to put together. It's one of those boxes you just want to keep because it's a sturdy box. The way it opens and closes, the padding on the inside of it and everything else, it's just how it all fits together is just absolutely fantastic. I did a little article on that as well and video. Nate, I don't know what you're talking about. I would never, ever be an enabler at all, ever. Well, you know, actually, I can't recall if it was you that enabled me, but I want to say it was you that enabled me. And I, I can't find the proof because I think you told me on Matrix. And since we stopped using that Matrix account, now I've lost the proof. So, but I still want to give you credit or whatever you want to call it, regardless. I don't know what you're talking about then. I have no idea. <laughs> sure, you don't. Uh-huh. That's your excuse every single time. I have no idea what you're talking about. It couldn't have been me. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. I would never do such a thing. Only to Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, actually, I'll tell you what, because I like the travel case so much, Wendy, thank you for recommending it. Because Matt would never actually go. recommend anything that's worthwhile. You're very <laughs> welcome. I'm so glad that I can help. And you're such a fan of the Steam Deck, so I know that you're the one that told you me. You betcha. I just talk about it all the time. Listen back to all the shows. I am just a chatterbox when it comes to the thingy thing you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. It's terrible. I just how. It's just beating me over the head with the stinking Steam Deck, you know? Right. I know, right? I'll try to do better. I'll try to do better. I don't bother. The packaging from dbrand, like just the bubble wrap package that the box came in, is just riddled with humor. It's like they don't take themselves seriously, which I think makes them fun. And obviously, they have really good company culture that they embrace one quality of product, as well as making fun and poking fun of everything. We have a fun company culture, Nate. We poke fun at you all the time. That's true. And I enjoy it. And if you ever stop poking fun at me, I'll, I'll know that the show's over. <laughs> Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support to ease of use and setup, it is clear why developers and businesses have been trusting Linode for their projects, both big and small, since 2003. Don't worry if you're just getting started. That 24-hour, 7 days a week, 365 days a year support is offered to every level of user. They also offer industry-best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory, and GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com tux, create a free account, and you'll get a $100 credit. Say you're in a hurry. Don't worry about it. You can build everything yourself or use the Linode one-click apps to deploy everything from Plesk, WordPress, to Valheim, and Minecraft servers. Make sure you visit Linode slash tux to get started for free and snag that $100 credit while you're at it. There are lots of tech opinions out there. The popular ones are very obvious because you hear them all the time and people tend to agree with those same tech opinions. But I wanted to focus on maybe some unpopular tech opinions that we might have. I know I have a lot of them. I'll kick it off with my biggest tech irritation that everyone's all excited about, but yet I think it's just the absolute silliest thing to be excited about. And that is OLED screens. I think they're terrible. And I think we are dumb for liking them. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm saying we. Because every OLED device I have ever had 
gets screen burning. It's kind of like going back to the CRT, old tube television or monitor days, the annoying burn-in on the screen because they will inevitably do that. Remember going to arcades as a kid, you could see like the high scores where those were when the arcade machine was off. So basically getting OLED screens, yeah, sure they're bright, but it's kind of like saying, mm, I'm only gonna use this thing for a few years and throw it away. And so I think OLED is just terrible. Uh, so I'm gonna be the contrarian here. Sure. If you've ever played a PlayStation Vita, I will say the OLED model is better than the LCD model. Sure, for now. You are correct. So you get the screen burning and it's annoying. If you only wanna play the thing for a couple years, yeah, it's great. I had mine for a decade, so I can't really say it for a few years. <laughs> so I'm just saying. Okay, so you did use yours for a decade. And were there precautions that you were taking to prevent burn-in? Or was there built-in software precautions to prevent burn-in? If I remember correctly, there was a like some type of burn-in feature that was for the Vita. Mm. I can only speak to something like the Vita. Like an OLED TV, I get where you're coming from with that, Nate. But on a device like the Vita or a smartphone or whatever, where the screen is going to be on or off, I think it's a little bit different. But I do get what you're saying when it comes to something like, you know, a big 55, 70 inch OLED TV, where it's just like the main purpose is to simply just always be on, essentially. Right. I'm going to definitely say I agree on that aspect of it. I did have this issue with my Huawei watch. I had one of the originals and for a really long time, I actually used it for a very, very, very long time. And it wasn't till it was about to the point where I wasn't going to be using it anymore where burn-in started happening, but it did eventually become a downside of that watch. And for the most part, for battery saving, I didn't have the screen on all the time, even with my current smartwatches that aren't OLED screens. I don't leave the screen on all the time because I want that battery to last me multiple days. I don't want it to have to be on the charger every single night. That might have helped in the longevity of my Huawei watch, but towards the end, I was having an issue with that, but I also found a watch face that I really, really liked, and I used that one consistently for several years in wearing of that watch. The manufacturing process of these also can be a little bit more expensive, and you're not going to want to have them in places where you are dealing with water, so may not have been the best option for a smartwatch because they're easily more damaged by water. Mm. Though the viewing angles of these things are awesome. So that was the advantage of putting in a watch, potentially putting it into a game style device just because the viewing angles are so awesome from it. I don't know. I don't think that I personally have any grudges against OLED displays. I think they have a great place or great applications in which to use them in, but are they for every single device? Absolutely not. It's one of those technologies that we shouldn't just throw everywhere. We should decide, hey, what does this device need? What is going to be the te best technology for it? And not just throw an OLED at it because it's brighter. Basically, the way I view OLED is currently it's like when HDTVs came out, plasma was the thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. OLED is plasma, basically. Right. Exactly. It's right. just the new version. It's great for certain things. However, it does have its downfalls like every piece of technology. I would go so far as to say I will spend extra money on a, like a device, like a handheld device, say like a Switch. Let's say another Steam Deck <laughs> comes out. I would pay extra money to get the non-OLED option. That's how much I dislike it. If you're buying the Switch, you're paying extra money anyway because right. the way they charge for those flipping games. So, sure. yeah. I mean, actually, OLED's <laughs> perfect for Nintendo. 
because they want their things to break and then you have to buy new things. That really makes sense for Nintendo. Right. And I guess for phones, it kind of makes sense because manufacturers want you to buy new phones all the time. I, however, I'm not one of those consumers. I will buy something and run it into the ground until it is no longer usable before I replace it because I don't like to buy new things all the time. Purchasing something that's OLED is just asking for driving into the ground quicker. So Wendy, you say there is no best. Is that really a popular opinion or unpopular opinion? <laughs> I don't know if it's popular or unpopular. It was kind of the discussion that we had before starting the show as we were picking topics. For the most part, I really don't care if my opinion is popular or not. So I haven't checked to see if any of my opinions are popular or not. But this is one that just kind of came across lately, I guess you could say. I do get tired of people saying this is the best desktop, this is the best distro, this is the best whatever technology, especially when it comes to Linux. And I don't think there is a best. I think there could be the preferred one for a specific application, just like I feel that way for OLEDs or any other technology. There really isn't a best. And if I'm looking at the course of my day, what I need my computer to do, the things that I'm sharing, whatever's going on, telling me that I'm using the wrong thing, that XYZ is the best and I should be on it, makes me not want to use that technology at all. Maybe I'm a little sinister in that light or <laughs> a little rebellious, whatever. I don't care what the term is. Tell me it's the best and I have to be using it. I'm probably going to give you a salute in a not very nice way a and New go York on salute. doing whatever in the world I was doing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that as a community in general, we need to stop telling people that this is the best and instead say, what are your applications? These are the different things that are available. And so for what you need to do, this one might work better. I tend to agree with what you're saying, Wendy. There is no best. There's a part that the community and people who do these like kind of statements like top five best gaming distros and all this other right. whatever stuff. I'm fine with people presenting options. I'm going to say like, here's five gaming distros that's different. You're not saying mm -hmm. these are the best. These are just five options. These are five options that are centered around gaming, and these are the advantages and disadvantages. Though, exactly. Right? A little semantic there. I mean, when someone says top 10 something. It's not as absolute. Sure. As like, here's where I was going with this. We don't add the thing for me, for you. We don't add right. those two words. I just assume those are implied but a lot of the time they're not because they come across as media, quote unquote, media. So their opinion is given a different validity, I should say. Sure. And I try to be careful when I say the best. I mean, except for when I talk about this podcast, because I do think it's the best. <laughs> um. Well, I might be a little biased, but I do think this podcast is quite awesome. Yes. Are we better than Hardware Addicts, Wendy? Oh. Ooh, that's a no, <laughs> I wouldn't say we're better. We are different. And they all have their own flair, and you should listen to both. I agree. There you go. Or, no, I should take that back. I'm not going to say you should listen to both. You're doing yourself a disservice if you do yes, not. Yes, I'm doing myself a disservice. They are both valuable listens. Not that I'm trying to start any <laughs> poking. It was actually Hardware Addicts that sent me down the OLED screens are terrible. And in fact, I wrote that down as a show thing when I heard Ryan go off about how great OLED was. And I was like yelling at my computer, and the computer obviously didn't care. <laughs> You know, I think people do that a lot with both shows. 
<laughs> I don't know what you're talking Could about. Be. Anyway, not that the conversation got derailed. Always. <laughs> it happens. I agree. But I will say, though, I do a lot of searches for like, I was looking for an easy way to do some benchmarking. Was it last week or the week before or something like that? And so I actually looked top 10 best benchmarking tools because I want to get a bunch of people's opinions. I don't ever take, and maybe it's just me, but when somebody says, this is the best, I don't read the best. I just read, these are, maybe I do read the best, but these are the best that I think, or from my perspective, I did reading on different benchmarking tools people thought were the best. And I basically rejected them all and found one I liked better. But it gave me a starting point to do some other searching, like what else can I find? And so I think those lists are valuable. And I think that they are meant to drive discussion. I don't think someone is so deluded that they think that their opinion is the only opinion. Maybe there are some people. I mean, there are some people out there. My issue isn't necessarily with the list. It's when someone says you're doing Linux wrong because this blank is the best you should my be distro on... is the best mm, or... mm, right right insert thing here sure yeah that makes sense i was just using the list as an example we're not adding that caveat of for you for me you know that's what we're not adding to that because each selection and when it comes to linux very personal because as you would say right. nate linux puts the personal back in computing uh -huh. this is true absolutely i am a huge fan of plasma i'm very open with that but i know that it's not everybody's cup of tea. Do I think there are some issues with it? Yeah, and I'm also open with the things that could potentially be better. But I'm not going to walk up and say, if you're running Linux, it has to be on Plasma and it has to be an Arch-based distro or you're doing it wrong. And I think that's where the opinion gets to be unpopular. We get to the point where we've got too many diehard fans of a certain realm it's just all or nothing when it comes to this and i don't feel that that's right or even appropriate for the community definitely agree with you there i mean that again i have probably some of the more polarizing opinions anyway out of the the lot here as it relates to the linux community typically <laughs> that's why we keep you around <laughs> for the clicks yeah <laughs> Now, along that same line of things that we've been talking about is double standards when it comes to open source. Some communities get a really hard time while others let slide. And you say this is one of your unpopular opinions, though I don't think this one is all that unpopular either. It's not so much unpopular. It's just not ever really called out. Right. So company A does something similar... And this isn't a whataboutism or anything that people are going to throw. A company can do exactly the same thing as another company that contributes in open source in different ways. I'll use Valve as an example. I love everything Valve has done for the ecosystem, but they produce a proprietary service. Oh, don't be a sycophant. I'll be the first to admit I'm a Valve fanboy. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. But on the same note, I am not unaware that their primary goal is self-serving. And the fact that a lot of people will criticize other companies that contribute to open source in different ways, but their motivation because they're for-profit companies and they mitigate everything, the community will mitigate everything they do and scrutinize everything they do, but they will not criticize or critique a company who does a very similar thing. And it is infuriating right. to no end. Yeah, I agree. There is definitely a double standard about how people react to different organizations or companies in the open source world when both with company A or organization A and B can do basically the exact same thing, maybe with a slightly different flavor 
or seasoning and they'll go crazy on organization A and they'll give organization B a, a total pass. Like, oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, no, no, you know, they're, they're great. Because that company in some way, shape or like company A, which is the, uh, will be the po- insert poster child here is totally given that pass. But company B is looked down upon for doing something very similar, which is very profit motivated and driven, just like company A was doing. They're serving their best interests. It just boggles my mind. But when you mention that, well, that's not the same is usually what you get for a response. And again, it infuriates me to no end that we see that constantly. That double standard can also come into play with the credit that different projects get. One is absolutely praised for all of the contributions that they do. And you have another project that's doing just as many, but everybody ignores them. Yeah, we can get down to the project level now, not just specifically talking companies. You can look at projects that will do implement and uh, have a design ethos in a certain way. I'm not throwing elementary under a bus. I'm just using them as an example. <laughs> um, <laughs> they have a very singular focus and whatnot. That how they want to design stuff, how they want to do stuff. You can say the same thing with Gnome. My issue with Gnome is very much more of a communication issue than anything else. But right. they have a way they want to do their projects, and that's the way they do them. A company or another project will do something very, very similar. You know, create their own desktop, do whatever they will. and But because that project is making those choices, they get ragged on nonstop for it. And it's like, but these guys are just doing it too. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a whataboutism. It's a, if you're going to apply the logic here... Apply it over here too. Yeah, make it equal all the way around. If one company's bad for something that they've done, the other company should be equally bad for doing something similar, right? That's my thoughts on it. That's why it's more of a controversial opinion because it's just like spread it out equally. <laughs> Call BS for BS regardless of where it's coming from. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's because different organizations have different lengths of leashes and I'm not sure why that's the case. That's a really good way to put it. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Make the smart move like many from the community and have a go at bidwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 a year. And for that $10 premium account, you'll get things like one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F and Duo, Vault Health Reports, and so much more. Also, you'll get priority customer support, huh? Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Matt, what game are you going to inflict upon us today? So the game we're going to inflict upon you is because, Nate, we fight a lot. I figured this one would be fun because it involves giant robots. And Wendy, I know your kids liked uh, a certain giant robot game that I made a recommendation for. Um, the game of the week is one called Wartech Fighters. Hmm. This is a $20 game at base price. If you ever liked Battletech, if you liked MechWarrior, yes. 
if uh-huh. you've ever liked Gundam or any of that kind of stuff where it's all space combat because Nate, you like free space. Yes. This is giant robots in space fighting capital ships and fighters and other robots. And you get to customize it. Doesn't seem like a very efficient way to use a robot with arms and legs. No, but it is fun <laughs> as heck, though, nonetheless. You get to customize your weapons, uh, your shields, and all that jazz. The looks of your robot or your war tech, as they would call it. So, mm-hmm. fun game. It's a $20 game. It's not, like, super expensive. It is a budget title, but it just I will say the space, like, design and stuff does look really pretty. I'm not going to lie. I've been playing it on the Steam Deck. I mean, it looks cool from the video preview thing here on uh, Steam. The link that you shared. It has a kind of <laughs> Transformers vibe to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. At least the, the design of the robots. And I like that design. It's a more modern Transformers, not like G1. But not Michael Bay Transformers either. Well, I like Michael Bay Transformers, actually. I meant design-wise, Nate. Design-wise. Closer to that. I would say they're kind of like the newer cartoons, like the Transformers Prime-ish mm-hmm. era and look. Not that I watch these things, because I, I would never watch them. No, things. never. <laughs> now, this does look like a game that would be right up my kid's alley. The other robot fighting game that you mentioned you can play in co-op is this one single player only or can you play with other people locally so i have actually not looked into the multiplayer at all for this game i believe so i i haven't seen on the description or anything i believe it's single player focused but i could be totally wrong the portion i'm playing is the single player right now so literally went into the game did some graphic changes and just went into whatever like start game stuff was <laughs> that's about the my extent of seeing the menu system but i believe it's a single player focus game but still definitely a fun game and spec wise it looks really pretty nice not that heavy of a game it is from 2018 but overall, system recommendations look like most of our listeners would be able to play it. For those other gamers, you can get it on the Switch as well. It's on the eShop, so if you <laughs> want to go that route. Personally, I've been I've had this on Steam forever, but I was waiting for a better gaming mobile gaming experience than the Switch. So let's just put it that way. And the Steam Deck fills that. Makes sense. Nice. Well, WarTech Fighters, I guess for short, it's WTF. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes sense i was totally totally aware of what the acronym was i was just avoiding it <laughs> so while i'm looking and playing video games that require me to build robots and break robots and blow things up wendy you're actually working on building things with bricks and python yes yeah, so this is another fll update inside of the same show i just kind of separated the two We've been talking as a team the advantages and disadvantages of the Python version that comes with our hub that Lego puts together and using Pybricks, which is an open source project, different firmware that you can install on the hub. And they have it for more than just the Lego hubs we use. They actually have quite a variety of hubs in which you can install this firmware quite nicely now, if I might add, onto your hubs. And in general, I find that Pybricks has given us more functionality. And so the team's been back and forth on, all right, we have achieved our goals with the Python from Lego for regionals and state. Now, do we switch to Pybricks? One of the things that Pybricks lets us do that 
is far more difficult with the Lego Python is doing two things at once to be able to run your drive motors and be able to move an attachment motor at the same time. And all of that really does save time. Also with the Lego Python in between different actions, we've had to let things settle for at least half a second or it just gets overrun. Things don't really work quite right. As far as I know, at this point, that's not necessary with Pybricks. That as far as taking that code and executing it, it seems to work better. So the team voted yesterday to go ahead and make that change that they are going to be starting to transition their robot code from the Lego Python to a Pybricks Python. And after all of the building that they did on this last Wednesday, and there was a ton more building, their code was going to need to be reworked anyway. I showed them some videos of teams, several different teams around the world, that are scoring over 400 points. And I don't think you understand what an achievement that is. That is a lot of points that are being scored. And I didn't want to scare the team. I didn't want to say, your robot isn't good enough. Your code isn't good enough. The goal was to say, look at what can be achieved and what can you do to improve your robot? I'm not expecting them to get 410 points, but as we talked about earlier, it's time to step up the game. You're moving forward. It's another competition. We don't just leave our robot as is. We have some time. What can be improved? And so the goal was to let them see what other teams are doing. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. How can you take some of the same concepts, not even necessarily from this year's robot game, but from previous robot games and incorporate them into your robot, what you want to do, the goals that you want to achieve, and the kids ran with it. There was some super awesome attachment building that went on right now on the team's website. There is some pictures of their robots and all of that's going to need to be updated after what they did. So if you go to their website right now, you can see the design of the forklift that's on the front of it. And those forks essentially are stationary. It's a permanent part of the robot. And there is kind of a flat area just up above that. It's made out of pink biscuits. We call them biscuits. I can't remember what the Lego term is for them. But after yesterday, they came up with many, many more drop-in attachments. And so those forks are now a drop-in. They can come on and off the robot as long with other attachments that help them achieve goals better. They're going to need to reroute exactly how they're achieving their different missions and so it's the perfect time to go ahead and make the switch because they're already going to need to rewrite some stuff. I'm super excited about it. One of the downsides, I guess you could say, is we've been using the open source version of VS Code and an extension in order to do all of that in a dedicated code editor. And then all of their code is constantly being backed up. So it goes between... The two different coding laptops that we can use, I've got my Raspberry Pi at home that's running the SyncThink server. It's also on there. It will sync to my computer, a couple of different places. So you have this code all over the place. What you don't want, and even if we were using the Lego application, say you're doing all of your coding on one laptop. It doesn't automatically back things up. You have to download and actually save them. That tablet dies, it gets lost, it gets broken, somebody steal it. And now 
all of your code is gone, which is a major problem. As someone, if you're just coding your robot at home, if that code disappears, it's a super bummer. But in the course of a team, especially if it's just before an event, that can be devastating to lose that. So I've been in contact with Lawrence. He is one of the heads of this project working diligently on PyBricks. And I asked if there was a way to store those files locally. You can use the application in a web browser. It does work on Chrome, Chromium-based browsers, not so much Firefox, but that also gives you the option of installing it as an application so you can use it offline without having to go directly to the website. And I wanted to be able to sync those files like we had before. So I jumped on Macedon, shot him a question. He got back to me really pretty quickly. Just based on how they have this web app developed, syncing those local files is more difficult. We couldn't do it the same way. They do have a download option. So when the kids were deciding yes or no, whether to go to Pybricks or not, I did tell them this would add an extra step at the end of the day. Once you've made all your tweaks and changes, you will download the zip file, which will go into a sync thing folder. So those can be sunk sunk sync it so we can sync those across multiple devices and make sure they are on the server that i have constantly running that has access to these different computers so if something happens to one of them all of their code is still backed up now currently in order to get their code onto a different computer you would have to unzip those files and then import the Pi files directly into PyBricks. They did at one point have a question brought up, hey, do we allow people to just import zip files? And it was determined at the time that, nah, kind of edge cases, we don't really need it. Because of my use, my coaching of an FLL team and our use case of it, that got reopened again, and they potentially will be able to allow you to just import a whole zip file, I think would be awesome. It's one less step the kids are trying to do. At the end of the day, they're downloading all of their code. It goes into a zip file, and then if for some reason we're changing computers, something else going on, they can just upload the latest version of that zip file, and we're good to go. We're off and running Instead of taking the step of finding that zip file, unzipping it, and uploading it, it's just creating more clutter, more croft that's going on inside of that sync thing file system. Mm -hmm. And I would prefer to keep that just as clean and easy for them to get the newest Python files, the latest programs up and running for whatever system they're on at the time. Well, streamlining is always a target for any project. But also at the same time, it's probably good to also teach in a way that having to take some extra steps to back up their stuff. It brings attention to the fact that you do have to take care in your work, your data and so forth. So I, I know it's a pain in the butt and, and, I'm, and hopefully things get streamlined and whatnot. But at the same time, there's probably some learning value in the pain of it as well for the kids. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I have done the work in the back end to make sure SyncThing is there and that all of their work is being saved. But being able to teach them the skills of or the importance of making sure your work is backed up, making sure you have other copies of it, especially where this is so important that is part of your job as the owner of that data 
mm-hmm. to make sure you can recover it if something bad happens. Right, exactly. And uh, also keeping multiple backups, you know, and I know it's not applicable, but now I always kept backups and additional three and a half inch floppies, you know, when I was doing stuff like that because <laughs> you just never knew when one of them would just kind of crap out on you. So I mean, it could be like multiple USB yes. drives. I don't know. Just do some things to think about there of what you can do just for the sake of um, teaching good, responsible computing habits. Yes, very much so. Thanks for bringing up that light to this change that we're going to be making in our process. Matt's not the only one with a game this week. Let me guess, it's retro and it's pixelated, Nate. Yes, it is. It's something called Hazelnut (laughs) Bastille. It's a 16-bit indie game. This is one of my uh, tab cleanup projects. It's basically a tab that's been open now for multiple years. And so I want to kind of close this particular one out for now. It's a game, the 16-bit styled game for modern systems. And there's a demo out now. But what is it? It's kind of like a, a Zelda style, I would say, of the Super Nintendo era since it is 16-bit. Top down, like ARPG or something like that. I don't know what that means. Zelda-like ARPG. That sounds like a Matt question. It's a story. You're a heroine and you've had something taken from you and you're trying to get it back. And very cutely, you come out of a hippopotamus's mouth, which I'm not sure why that is. And I haven't really dug into it. But the point is, it's for uh, Windows, Mac, Linux, and Switch is when it's going to come out. The Kickstart is closed. They've raised what they need to raise. And so they're just finalizing it now, from what I understand. Uh, They haven't posted anything on their Twitter this year yet. But the last post on the 28th shows just some of the other improvements. But you can download the demo and play it. I couldn't find the Linux version of it. So I just downloaded the Windows version. I'm just running it within Steam using Proton. And it runs fantastically well. I played it just a little bit on the Steam Deck yesterday. The controls are good. It feels very natural. You know, they take advantage of some of the other buttons and such on there. So far, I think it's a very fun-looking game. It's very whimsical. You know, there's nothing questionable, I would say, about it. You know, that you have to worry about because you know it's a 16-bit game and and so forth. But anyway, it's uh, it looks like a fun game. I just wanted to share it. It's probably a little bit silly, but I like silly. That's how I live my life. These indie developers, I think, tend to produce some of the more interesting things. It actually looks like a game that I could see my kids playing. They don't shy away from pixelated stuff. I love the fact that it's cross-platform. That. They were able to raise what they needed to, and it looks like this is one of those projects that is going to come as a positive out of crowdfunding. Yep. And also they have coming soon, they have their like page on Steam, and it does say coming soon. Sweet. Is it free on Steam then, or is this a game that you will be purchasing? I will probably end up purchasing this, but the demo is free. You can download the demo. I downloaded the executable, the Windows executable, and it runs within Steam Fine. What is an ARPG? Action RPG. Action RPG. Okay. All right. So many acronyms. I just don't know them. We need to have a a reference sheet, Matt. Just need to learn your genres. Know your genres. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit that discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting textdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description, find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Loon, and more at TuxDigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcast and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt, or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. 